honor to be with you this morning. We're in a series of messages on relationships called In the Ring. And, and really, we're, we're not dealing right now with, with dating and romantic relationships so much as relationships in general and how to have good, healthy, life-giving relationships. And we talked some about this last week. But we said that our relationships are, are like spokes in the wheel of our lives. And, and we, we started this year off kind of looking at a misfit life and what that looks like and how we, we operate in life to really roll true or to roll smoothly in life. And it really does begin with our, our spiritual life, our connection to God. And we spent some time talking about that. And then we talked about our, our physical health and how God intends for us to use and operate and take care of the bodies that He has given us. And then we, we spoke about emotional health and, and how our emotional health is tied to everything else and, and connected to our, our spirituality, connected to how we connect with God or don't. Soon, eventually, um, I kind of avoid this conversation because it's the reputation of churches to talk about it all the time, but we will talk about finances because our financial life and health and the way we deal with money, whether God's way or our way, will contribute to how our life operates. And then this series is where we're talking about relationships. But really, relationships in all of these are more than just one spoke that has to be appropriately tightened for the wheel to roll true or to roll smoothly or to roll straight. Because when any one of these gets loose, it loosens the others. And then the wheel begins to wobble and we head for a crash. But our relationships are more than just one spoke. There's lots of spokes there. As a child, it really kind of begins in our relationship with our parents. You have our, our relationship with God in there, the relationship with our, our siblings and our friends and our spouse and our kids and our coworkers and our classmates and, and, then, and then our boss. And you get all these different relationships in here that all have to be appropriately tightened. They all have to be maintained and managed and taken care of and developed. Developed at different ways, too. So one of the challenges that we have is the, the changing dynamic of relationships. For instance, a marriage spoke can be damaged or even broken or not taken care of correctly, if maybe a mom's spoke is too tight, right? Like if a mom or a spoke is too tight, it'll, it'll get in the way of the marriage. Or, or what tends to happen to couples as they get a little, been married a little longer and they start to have kids, they can spend too much time tightening that spoke of the children and neglect that marriage spoke. And 18, 19, 20 years pass and the kids move out and then there are two strangers married because they've not spent time taking care of this spoke. Or, or men, sometimes we can get so focused on our work and our relationships at work, we neglect the relationships at home and that spoke becomes too tight, causing the wheel to wobble. So it's important that we understand and prioritize and value the different relationships and keep them 
appropriately tightened if the wheel is going to roll true, if our life is going to operate the way that God intends it to operate. Now, a key reality, a truth, there is only really one tool that is used to tighten or loosen those spokes. There's only one thing that has the determining factor in the health of the relationship. And if this is missing, then a healthy relationship is impossible. And that's trust. Trust is the key, is the tool that tightens the relationships and makes them healthy or not. A high trust relationship will always function better, faster, with greater quality than any other relationship. A low trust relationship, whether it's a friendship, a marriage, a business relationship, is going to operate much slower and more difficulty and with a lot of suspicion. The opposite of trust is suspicion. And, and so we have to be able to develop trust in our relationships. But the reality is that, that high trust relationships begin in God. They all begin in God. You see, you can imagine it like a, a stone thrown into a pond and the waves or the ripples that are created. And our relationship with God is that stone thrown into the pond. And when we have trust with God, we begin to have trust with ourselves. And when we can trust ourselves, we can trust others. When we don't trust ourselves, we assume we can't trust others and fail to offer trust to others in our in personal relationships. And then from there, the next wave as this energy of trust moves outward, it continues to grow beyond our, our personal relationship and it goes into our work and social and, and community relationships. And from there into society as in large, at large. And you have these waves, these ripples outward from our connection with God. The problem is it's, it's all kind of cyclical. You see, the story we find in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 is really our story. It's the story of every one of us. Every one of us enter into that Garden of Eden where there is both a tree of life and a tree of good and bad. Now, if we really look at it, it's Tov and Ra, good and bad, not good and evil, God's way and our own way, the best for us and others, and the not best, Tov and Ra. And we all, we all have to walk by the tree of good and bad to get to the tree of life. And every one of us stop at that tree like Adam and Eve. And we choose raw. We choose not good. We choose our way. And the, and the problem with choosing our way is that there's always consequences. Now, they're built-in realities. See, sometimes we want to think about 
God punishing us when we sin, but sin doesn't really work that way. Raw doesn't really work that way. The fruit of the tree really doesn't work that way. And if you really look at Genesis chapter 3, it doesn't say, if you eat of this tree, then God will punish you. It actually says, if you eat of this tree, then you will die. And it, it really kind of funny thing is the way that they emphasize words in, in Hebrew is to repeat them. So it says in the, in the original text, like, if you eat of this tree, then you'll die, die. And because you'll, you'll die, die, there, there's these consequences. And any time we choose our way, we choose raw, we choose not to trust God, and instead to trust ourselves, we experience negative consequences. We experience pain. We experience loss. We experience suffering and, and destruction and eventually death. And because we chose raw and we suffered painful consequences, we begin to distrust ourselves to make good decisions anymore. We begin to believe that we can't choose good. We begin to believe that it's not in us and it's not possible and it's not, it's not something we can do and we don't trust ourselves. Right? Like how many of us said this? I don't trust myself with that person. I don't trust myself with Oreos in the house. I don't trust myself to go to that place. I don't trust myself to go into that store. I don't trust myself on the internet. I don't trust myself. And what happens in that cycle when we don't trust ourselves and we don't trust others and we stop trusting God? We stop trusting God. Because we assume God behaves like we do. We assume God behaves like we do. And if we can't be trusted, maybe he can't be trusted either. And we struggle in this cycle of distrust over and over again. And we assume there's nothing we can do about it. But trust, trust is not a feeling, right? We'll see if we can fix this, guys. All right. Trust is not a feeling. It's not that it's just there or it's not and there's nothing I can do about it. Trust is actually confidence born from the marriage of character and competence in a person or organization. Right? So it's when I have confidence that this person has the character and competence to do what I am trusting them to do. Or this organization can do what it says it's going to do. It's born out of both character and competence. The trust we have in each other, whether it's our friends or our marriage or our dating relationship or our kids or our parents, grows from their behaviors. Let me give you an example that you're not likely to like. Um, it's one for parents. Sorry, I always take a moment before I say something that might get me in trouble, um, which is often, isn't it? Um, and, and hear this as someone who now has a child who turns 13 next month and a 10-year-old, and not someone who doesn't have children, right? Like everybody who doesn't have children is a parenting expert, until they have kids, and then you realize you don't have a clue what, you do, what you're doing. 
And you got to start to figure this out again. So this is coming from someone who's been doing it now for about 13 years. Trust is built or broken on behaviors. If I tell my son or daughter, if you do that, this is going to be the consequence. If you don't listen, I don't spank them anymore, and I didn't much, but let's just say spank. If you do that, I'm going to spank you. And they do it. And I say, if you do that again, I'm going to spank you. If you do that again, if you do that again, one more time, this is your last warning. And I do that 14 times and I never spank them. I just taught my child not to trust me. Because I didn't do what I said I was going to do. I didn't behave in the way I said I was going to behave. And say they know... They don't really have to listen until the vein pops out of my head and my voice hits this new octave and my face is red and I am screaming. That's when moms or dads serious. That's when I better act. And see, the problem is it works both ways. So if I tell them once, you have a choice. You can eat the dinner that was prepared for you, or you can go to bed and eat it for breakfast. This is your choice. And I then allow them to go to bed and not eat it, and it's waiting for them on the table for breakfast. They learn that I'm going to tell them once, and I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And they can trust that for both the good and the bad. So Sophia is playing basketball. For the first time, trying something new, right? Like trying something new. She's a dancer. That's her heart, her passion. But she wanted to try sports. She's playing basketball, and she dances her way back and forth down the court, and, and it's great. And, I mean, it's like this gazelle run where she's, like, on her toes, and, and it's great. But she's trying. She's tall for her age, and so that works to her benefit. And I told her, I said, Sophie, if you score a basket, she scored in practice a few times and, and it just, she just loved us. If you score, I'll take you right out to the game to Starbucks and get that unicorn rainbow frappuccino, whatever it is you like there, the biggest size you can get if you score a basket. And she really tried hard. She was much more aggressive Saturday, um, but she didn't score. She said, Dad, can, can we still go get it? I said, no. When you score... You get the frappuccino. But you did play hard. You did. You were much more aggressive. I love seeing that confidence of you. So we'll go to Bernie's instead. If you don't know Bernie's in Smithfield, you're welcome. And I'm sorry for your new addiction. Um, Go there. Get that glazed croissant filled. I like the chocolate cream. And Sophie loved the chocolate. You had buttercream. Like, yeah. Just stop, you're going to leave here and go there. It's worth it. They have all kinds of amazing things. So we went to Bernie's instead. And she'll get that Starbucks when she scores. And she has no doubt that I'll do that. She has no doubt that if she doesn't do her chores, she doesn't get her allowance. She has no doubt that if she does her chores, even if I forget to have cash on me, she will get it. She trusts me. 
Because I do what I say I'm going to do every time. And parents, if you don't, you are teaching your children not to trust you. It's a behavior thing. And here's the problem. We behave ourselves into relationships with low levels of trust, and then we try to talk ourselves out of the problem. And you can't talk yourself out of a problem you behaved yourself into. Teenagers, there are a few of you in this service, most of them were in the other service. If you behave yourself into a low trust relationship with your parent, there is nothing you can say to build trust. You have to behave your way into a trusting relationship with your parent. You have to behave your way out of the problems you behaved your way into. So if you are that parent, and and I don't imagine that any of you are, but if you're that parent who never delivers on the consequences you threaten, all you have to do is start delivering two or three times and they'll get the picture and life will get so much easier. It's up to you. No amount of threats or yelling or none of, none of that's going to work. You deliver. Take that screen. Take that game. Take that favorite thing. Swat that tail. Whatever you have to do. I promise you can behave your way out of the problem and much faster than you think you can. That's the good news. Trust Trust grows when you behave your way into it. It grows kind of like change in your pocket. It's this credibility that operates in your pocket. Every time you deliver, you do what you say you can do, you do the trustworthy thing, you get more change in your pocket that builds more trust, builds more room, gives more permission in every relationship. Every time you fail to do the trustworthy thing, It costs you a little bit in that relationship. And when you have no change in your pocket, there is no trust. And when there is no trust, everything is harder. Business slows down. Relationships get more difficult. Parenting gets harder. Friendships start to drift. And the opposite of trust is suspicion. And we've all been in that relationship where we were suspicious, questioning everything. And we know that's not the healthy relationship we want at any level, right? With our kids, with our spouse, with our friends, the person we're dating, with our coworkers, with our boss. None of it. The biblical principle behind this idea of behaving your way out of the problems you behave your way into is this idea of reaping and sowing. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 put it this way in the message. Don't be misled. Don't be fooled. Don't believe the lies. No one's going to make a fool of God. Here's how he's designed the world. What a person plants, he will harvest. You plant trustworthiness, you harvest a high trust relationship that operates in good, healthy, beautiful, wonderful ways and can last a lifetime. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. When this breaks down, at any point that this ripple, this wave hits an obstruction, it stops. 
and starts to go back the other way in distrust at any point. Because we start to reap, start to harvest weeds, brokenness, distrust. But the one who plants in response to God, trusts God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in them, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So what are the components of credibility? What are the the pieces that build this trustworthy life? How do we plant trustworthiness into our lives? How do do we do this? I mean, this is something that that sometimes frustrates you with Scripture is we'll get instructed to do something and then kind of have to go search the whole collection of books to figure out how and then go look outside of that and talk to wise people and get counsel and to figure out how to do this, right? Like, we, we, how does this work? And, and Stephen M. R. Covey, he's written this book, Speed of Trust, that is this comprehensive, like, if you want to listen to it, it's like 10, 12 hours long to listen to. It is, it is a comprehensive exploration of how trust works. And he's a, he's a believer, and he teaches it in churches and organizations and businesses and, and has his whole thing that, where they, they just teach this idea of trust and credibility. And we could not get through all of what he's talking about in a week, but I think when we take what he has and, and see how it works with Scripture, there are, there are four things that really stand out to us. Because we do see in Scripture, Proverbs ten nine that people with integrity walk safely. People with integrity, people who are credible, their lives roll smoothly. But those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. When it's broken, it will get found out. It will affect relationships. So these four components that allow us to build trust. Now, as we go through them, there may be things that that you hear like, man, that's an area I want to improve on in my relationships. If you identify right now and you think, man, I've got this low trust relationship. Good. I'm going to be able to tell them what to do. Like, let's just kind of set that thought aside and instead think, what could I do in me to build the trust better in that relationship? And let's just focus there. So as I go over each of these four, I'll stop at the end and and identify a couple of ways to accelerate growth in that area, to accelerate the development of these four components. So the first is, is integrity. And integrity, it kind of works like a root system that grounds everything that we want it to be. Without integrity, no one will trust us, not for long. Without integrity... life just starts to fall apart and fall down. Without the root system, the rest of the tree just falls over. Without integrity, it doesn't work. See, we see in Scripture, Colossians 3, 9, and 10, don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. You put on your new nature. and Be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Our creator is trustworthy. He is faithful when we are not faithful. He he keeps his promises. He is not like us. His ways are different from our ways. And when we learn to be like him, it begins in our integrity. It begins with honesty. 
You see, without honesty, everything else we build is like building on a sinkhole that will eventually collapse beneath us. If people can't trust the words that we say, then they can't trust us. And so it's built on integrity, it's built on truth-telling, even when it's hard. Now, I'm not talking about rude, I'm not talking about being a jerk and just spewing whatever you think is truth at any time you want, but honest, caring, truth-telling. Integrity is a congruence, it's a consistency. You are the same person wherever you are and with whomever you were with that day. You're the, it matters that I am the same person on this stage and in that cafe and in the restaurant this afternoon. And if you stop by my office this week or we go fishing together next month, I should be the same person in all of those situations. I should speak the same way. I should have this integrity about me, this congruence about my nature. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody gets to know everything about me or you. There's levels of intimacy, and that's something different. Right? You, you dole that out to learn if there's trust. I'm going to trust you with a little fact. If you prove trustworthy in that little fact, then you might get more. But I should still be the same person, the same character traits, the same personality and temperament in every situation. There should not be a falsity, a facade to who I am. Integrity is humility. Humility, the ability to say, I believe this with all my heart and I might be wrong. That's what's lacking in the political discourse today. Both sides should be completely sure they're right. But they should also both be able to say, I might be wrong. And that's the problem. Nobody's saying, I might be wrong. And that's why we struggle, one of the many reasons, we struggle to trust politicians. It's that lack of humility. And then it's the courage to do the right thing even when it's hard. Integrity is courage to do the right thing. We trust people who have the courage to do what's right even when we know it's hard for them. So maybe, maybe if this is an area where you think, man, this is something that could improve. This is something I want to grow in. Something that needs to be accelerated. I think it really begins right here. In opening up to God. Opening up to God. See, when we are closed off to God, there is no way for us to build trust. Because all of us have gone to that tree of Tov and Ra. We've all gone to the tree of good and bad. And we've taken the fruit and eaten and chosen our way. We've all suffered the pain and brokenness and results of that sin and hurt and loss. Right? We've all been there. We all have that brokenness in us. And none of us can fix ourselves. None of us can develop that integrity in ourselves apart from God. So if we want to grow in our integrity, in our trustworthiness, in our honesty, in our congruence, in our humility, in our courage, it begins in opening up to God and coming back to him and saying, I don't know how to do this without you. I will choose raw every time unless you help me. Forgive me for the ways that I've done it, for the ways that I've been selfish and untrustworthy and lacked integrity, and begin to help me in your love to trust you and walk in your ways. It's the only way integrity begins to develop in us. Then it begins to develop as we learn to make and keep commitments to ourselves. 
to ourselves. See, this is one of the big problems is we don't trust ourselves, right? We've already broken the New Year's resolutions we made, what, six weeks ago. And so we teach ourselves not to trust ourselves, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose weight. I'm going to exercise. And they say, no, I'm not, right? Like, I, I mean, I want to do that, but it's Taco Tuesday. I'll start tomorrow, right? Like, we, we're not, we're not going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save money. But you know, the TVs are on sale this month. <laughs> and we don't. I'm going to give. But then we ran out because the TVs were on sale. And we don't keep commitments. We hit snooze 18 times. We set that alarm and we say, I'm going to get up at this time. And then we don't. We snooze it, and snooze it, and snooze it, and snooze it. And we just lie to ourselves. I'm going to get up at that time? Yeah, right, 5.30, mm-hmm. No, you meant 6.30, right? Why not just set the alarm for 6.30 and be honest with yourself? Because then it will become 7.30. Maybe we think, I'm going to work out in the morning. The problem is we wait until the morning to make the decision about whether or not we're going to work out. Stephen Covey, he tells the story of, doing this himself, that he would set that alarm and then he would say, oh, I need more sleep and stay in bed. I don't really feel like working out today. I'm going to stay in bed. And so he he just stopped setting the alarm earlier and started setting it later and wasn't doing any of the things he told himself he was going to do. And the way that he changed it was he decided that he was going to make the decisions, the commitments the night before for the morning and not give himself the choice in the morning. So the night before, he decides, do I need more sleep or do I need to go to the gym? Do I need time alone with God? Do I need, what do I need in the morning? And I make the decision tonight and I make the preparations to keep the decision. I get the books out and set them on the table, get the coffee pot ready and do what I need to do. And I set the alarm at the time to do that. Set the alarm at the time to go to the gym and I set out the clothes and the shoes and everything I need to go to the gym so they're ready. Maybe even just sleep in the clothes. They roll out, slap on the shoes, and go. I mean, if you have to, sleep in the shoes too, I guess. But, you know, um, make the decision. Or he'll decide, I need more sleep tomorrow morning. I'm going to set the alarm for an hour later. Make the decision ahead of time and keep it. When you start to keep commitments to yourself, you start to trust yourself. And it opens you up to believing that other people might be trustworthy too. See, as long as you don't trust yourself, it really is hard to trust anyone else to do what they say they're going to do. Because you assume, like you, they might change their mind. They might not. Take a stand on something that you care about. Set some boundaries and live in them. The second. The second is the trunk of the tree. And the second part of character, it has to do with our intent. Our intent. See, I can trust that someone is truthful. They can have good character. But if I don't trust their intentions, their motives, I'm not going to trust them. I used to work with a guy. He was my boss, large church. He was insecure, a little afraid. His motive was to build his own reputation secure his job, and eventually build legacy and buildings with his name on them. And he would sacrifice anything and anyone for that. He would help you if it meant helping him. 
He was good to you if it meant it would be good for him. And ultimately, I was one who was sacrificed to protect his reputation. He was untrustworthy because of his motives. And I knew from the beginning that there was control and fear that I didn't see in the interview process, but quickly saw, and I knew I was in trouble because his intentions weren't good. Often in the church, the church has a reputation of wanting more from people than for people. We don't trust the intentions of leaders, especially pastors. You don't trust the intention of lawyers. Think about it. We assume the lawyer is in it to make money, not to help us. So we're suspicious of decisions they make. Suspicious that they're extending things out to get more money. They're doing whatever they have to do for them, not really for us. Intention is about those motives. Do we really care for others? Do I do what I do? Do I, do I care and develop and pour into others because I think it'll be good for me or good for them? Am I really for people or am I looking for something from them? In my role in particular, the danger of this is the need for affirmation that many pastors struggle with. And I had to really fight through this and still do at times. But if I need you to tell me I'm good at what I do, I can't really be good for you because I'm needing something from you. If I'm finding my identity and how well the church does instead of in God, then I am going to have wrong motives and break down the trust between us and can't really serve. And a part of character, a part of being trustworthy is our intentions. Do we really want something from them? We've all had those bosses who didn't really want to help us because they cared about us. They were after their own promotion. They were after their own success. We've worked with those people. Maybe we've been those people. Do we really, this has to do with whether or not you believe they really have your best interest at heart. And this is, this is where a lot of marriages struggle, right? The motive is for me to be happy, not to bring out the best in my spouse, not to have a, an impactful relationship together. And we'll talk about the, the purposes of marriage, the real purposes of marriage next week. But, but if without this intention, if I'm going in with the motive of my happiness, it doesn't take long for the trust to break down. If our motives, our intentions are wrong. This matters. Scripture tells us it matters. In, in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your intentions. Because from there, everything you do flows. Guard your heart. Because everything you do flows from it. Your heart matters. Your intentions matter. Some of us maybe need to take some time and actually examine our motives. Why am I doing what I do? Why do I serve? Why do I help? Why do I pray? Why do I volunteer? Why do I get involved? Why do I, why do I go to work? Why do I help or not help the people around me? Are my motives actually good for others? Or am I worried and afraid? Because here's where our intentions usually get messed up. Is we have a fear of scarcity instead of a belief in abundance. What that means is we believe that the world operates like a, a finite pie and I've got to get my slice 
And if I don't get my slice and somebody else beats it to me, beats me to it, there might not be enough for me. That's what scarcity means. It's this fear there might not be enough for me. There might not be enough credit. There might not be enough attention. There might not be enough money. There might not be enough promotion. There might not be enough approval. And I need to get my happiness, my joy, my needs met first because there's not enough. But scripture tells us that when we seek God's kingdom first and seek his righteousness, right relationships first, then all those other things are added to us. There is an abundance perspective in the kingdom of God. And if we're going to accelerate our intentions to the point of becoming trustworthy, then we have to believe in God's abundance, that there is enough joy and happiness for both of us. There is enough time for all of us. There is enough resources for all of us. And I can pursue your good first, knowing God takes care of me. I can do what's good for others. I can actually care about them. I can want more for them than from them. And we talk about this. This is something I protect and want for Hydrate. Is that this is a church that wants more for people than from people. We want more for your marriage, for your finances, for your life, for your purpose, for your kids than we want from you. We want for you to be everything that God created you to be, for your marriage to be everything God created it to be, for your finances to be everything that he has given them to you to become. We want for you. But if that breaks down, you stop trusting. And if that happens in our marriage, in our friendships, in our parenting, we stop trusting. Right? It's like this can happen in parenting when I start to do what I do for my reputation. When my kids, my kids start to sense that I want them to behave so that I look good. Or I want them to play in that sport because it makes me feel good. And it's not really for them or for their best interest. That I'm not developing and unlocking who they were created to be. But I'm trying to get something for myself out of them. They sense that. They will know that. And become aware of it. And they'll stop trusting. Trust goes both ways. This is our character. And without this, nothing happens. But that's not the only part of real credibility and trust. There's the other side of competence. Right? Like, here's where this starts to look. Is, our, is the branches. We'll pretend those are branches. And this is our capabilities, right? This is the third component of credibility or trust is in our capabilities. I had to develop capabilities as a parent. I had to develop the capability of changing a diaper, of making a bottle, of rocking and patiently holding on to a child who is screaming and crying without losing my mind. Otherwise, Anita would never hand me that child because she wouldn't trust me. I had to learn capabilities in friendship of stepping toward people. I had to learn to listen. And like not just listen to respond, but listen to understand. And vocalize that with good questions. 
and patience. These are capabilities of relationships that bring trust. But think about your job. You wouldn't have gotten hired if someone didn't believe you had the capability to do that job. You wouldn't be trusted to do your job every day if someone didn't see that you had the ability to do that job. See, it's not just character. You have to demonstrate competence, and that begins in capability, skills, knowledge, understanding, talents, all have to come to play in building trust. Right? We make sure, I, I learned this not over the last year, that if someone new um, comes to the base as an air traffic controller, they take a year of training to make sure that they are trustworthy to operate in that job. And part of it is the development of the capabilities to operate in this environment. It doesn't matter what capabilities they had in another environment. They need to develop the capabilities to operate here before they're trusted to do the job. Capabilities matter. And we have to grow in our talent and our skills and our knowledge in all of our relationships. We need to act. We need to act on what we know. Right? If I never, I can know how to listen, but if I never listen to Anita... We're not going to have a very healthy, growing relationship. If I never listen to my kids, like Sophia, my wonderful 10-year-old daughter, can get in the car with you, buckle that seatbelt, and as soon as that click happens, she'll start to talk and can go for an hour, and you'll never say anything. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. You don't even have to say that. She'll keep going until she hears the click of it unbuckle and gets out of the car. I mean, just continue. Now, as I listen, there's stuff about games and shows and scrunchies and stickers and friends and teachers and relationships and God and her heart. And I listen for those nuggets to understand her and be able to respond and help and pour into her. It's also another piece of this capability of staying current in her life. When we fail to stay current and relevant, our capability ends and our credibility ends. If I don't know what's going on in the relationships around me, whether it's the staff or my family or friends or even this organization, if I don't understand what's happening, if I'm not staying current, then my capability is gone and trust ends. Because I become irrelevant and unhelpful and unable to actually do what I say I'm trying to do. So I have to stay current, to learn from others. Accelerators in this, if this is an area you think, man, I need to grow in my capabilities to earn trust. And this was, so we recently did this rethink small thing a couple weeks ago, right? And we did this conference. We hosted a conference and we um, invited lots of people here and poured into them. And I've started to hear things like, um, church um, over in the Greensboro area called C4 posted this post yesterday about this big leadership meeting and plans for the next year and said we're rethinking small and making plans for what God's asking us to do next year. It's incredible. Another pastor sent me a note just saying, hey, 
after we sat through the session, this particularly the discipleship session and Rethink Small, we shifted. We were trying to get everybody to come to our building and nobody was coming and the kids were miserable. So now we're taking everyone and we're going to different people's houses in the church each Tuesday night that we did discipleship. And we're just pouring into them and praying with them and eating together and loving on them and we're doing discipleship as we go. Then I got a, a card in the mail yesterday from the students at Southern Wesleyan. And, and one of the students, or this is the best conference I've ever been to. And another, like, I'm open to small church like I never knew I could be. And, and I'm so excited about this. And, and they are, were affected by this. And I can remember a couple of years ago sitting with someone who is a strong, capable leader and saying, listen, I need to, I feel like this is a season when I am gaining credibility to be able to pour into others one day. I feel like this is a season when my capabilities are growing. We've had seasons of setback due to deployment where, where we've seen 25, 30, 40% of the congregation leave in a short time. And I remember us talking a couple of years ago when the first big one happened. And, and I just I said, man, I think God is teaching us how to handle setback in a new way so that we can help others. You have to learn the capabilities. Otherwise, none of those churches who showed up two weeks ago would have trusted us. They knew we not only had character, but had the ability, the capability to do what we said we we're going to do. So maybe you need to, you need to grow. This is a season of growing in capabilities. You need to learn your strengths. Pick a, pick a vision. Like, what are you going after right now? Pick something. We don't trust the person who bounces from thing to thing to thing to thing every new month, right? We don't want to hire that person. We don't want to date that person. Like if we meet somebody and think, oh, this person's interesting, but they've had 14 relationships in the last eight months, that's not interesting. I no longer am interested, right? They're, they're on to something new every 10 minutes. Like figure out what you're after and go after it. Know where you're going. It's just stay up to date with people. Listen, the last of these, and this is one in Christian circles we like to ignore, would be the leaves and the fruit of the tree. I know it doesn't look like it, but these are the results. Nobody would have showed up to that conference if we hadn't had the results of reaching people, baptizing people, of making disciples, right? Let me give you an example. Anita does not trust me to go to the store. For 15 years, she has sent me to the store to buy things that maybe had been forgotten. And for 15 years, she has the confidence in my integrity, my honesty, and my intention to do the thing that she asked me to do because I care about her. She has full confidence in my ability to walk into the store, pick up the right thing, pay for it, and come back. She has zero confidence in the results of that because for 15 years, I have brought back the wrong thing. Not on purpose. I didn't intend to. I, I have the ability to pick out the right thing, but she would say, go buy corn. I didn't know what it was for. Come back with a can of cream corn. That's not what I wanted. I wanted fresh, or I wanted frozen, or I wanted the can of this. I, I, sorry? So then she's like, go buy pepperoni, and I'll come back with like 
uh, jalapeno pepperoni. I was happy. No one else in the house was happy. And for 15 years, she sent me to the store with a list, and I managed to mess it up. The results were no good. So she thought, okay, we're going we're gonna to pour into this and see what we can do. So she would, she would give me exact details. This brand, this item, this size. I still mess it up. I don't know how I mess it up, but I managed to mess it up. So here's what I started doing. I started sending me with pictures. Picture. She would take a picture of the item and the size, multiple angles of the can or the item, and send me to the store. I still delivered bad results. So now she just goes on her own. Occasionally, she'll take the chance. But here's the thing. I can't talk myself out of that problem. I can't say, I'll get it right, and her believe me. I would have to get it right five or 10 or 15 times in a row before she trusts me again. Have to deliver the results. With the results, we got to start strong. Expect to deliver the right thing. Persist and then finish strong. If you want to accelerate, this is an area that you have a problem. Take responsibility for the results. And maybe it's not shopping. Maybe it's remembering important dates. Maybe it's helping out around the house. What I mean is take responsibility for the house at your house too. Kind of help around the house. You're not babysitting, you're parenting. You're taking responsibility for the results. Maybe you want to take responsibility for the way your children turn out. Because until 12, it's yours. How they behave until 12 is on you. After that, it's on them. My son turns 13 next month. And my whole job is to teach him how to be able to manage his own results. And deliver on who he wants to be. Not who I want him to be. Character is built on this right here. Start with what you need to do and build trust in your relationships. And here's the way that trust works. Just to dispel one little myth, you give trust before it's earned. In small doses. In small doses. Jesus said that the one who is trusted with little can be trusted with much, but the one who is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. Give them a little bit, a little bit of information, a little bit of responsibility, a little bit of time, and see how they handle it and give more. But you're going to have to trust first. You're going to have to give something first. That's how trust works. You can't wait for it to be earned. No one can earn it. You have to give it. You can have healthy, strong relationships. You can behave your way into them with God's help. You can behave your way in to good, healthy relationships with God's help. See, we're broken. We have broken ourselves. We have chosen raw enough times. We block this. The only way that we get this moving in the right direction again is to get in the ring with God. 
to wrestle with God and come to terms with trusting Him and how He says to live our lives. It goes back to life and relationships God's way. As long as we're choosing life on our terms, our ways, we're choosing raw, we're creating pain, and we're breaking this cycle over and over and over again. But we can begin with God and begin to build trust in ourselves and in our relationships, in our work, and in community. And eventually, that's what we'll be known for. We will be people of character and competence. It will be your reputation. And you will be given more trust than you've earned. But it starts with their behaviors. It starts with trusting God. Let's pray. Father, we need you. So would you speak to us now? We said earlier that the life we want, spiritual depth, it all happens when we relentlessly eliminate hurry. So would you just take a minute with me? I promise not to take too long. And ask God to talk to you. Is there an area where your credibility is getting chopped down, where the waves of trust emanating from trusting God is getting, are getting stopped? Is there something that God has been whispering to you from the beginning needs to grow in you for your friendships to develop and be healthy, for your, for your relationships to develop and be healthy, for your parenting to develop and be healthy? It's not about what I'm saying. It's not about what Stephen Covey writes. But what is God whispering to you right now? Is it integrity? Intent? Maybe a time of growing in your capability with humility? Maybe, maybe a time of delivering results to prove Father, our desire is for you. And we know that you have called us to be a part of your kingdom, to, to influence and be a witness to others. And it takes trust to do that. Everything in our lives rises and falls on relationship. Our very life, our, our physical, emotional, spiritual health, our work, everything rises and falls on relationships and our ability to build and develop and maintain and get in the ring for relationships that are worth fighting for. And so God, as we begin to identify the relationships that matter, we begin to hear your voice speak to us of where we need to grow, where we need to let you work in us. Would you Begin to give us courage for the one that needs to get in the ring with you and get back with you and begin to trust you to guide their life again, to surrender to your forgiveness and your love and your strength. God, would you give them that ability right now to make that decision to trust you? For those who need integrity or intent, capabilities, results, God, would you begin to work and show them the steps they need to take and give them the courage? And may they know that there are people around to help. Help them, God, to have the courage to ask for help. And would you build in this place a people, a church that can be trusted? 
incredible, willing and able to make a difference in our community and beyond. Send us, God, into to Goldsboro, North Carolina, and the United States and beyond. Send us, God, as your missionaries, as your agents, your kingdom-building agents. God, we would everything be for your glory and for the sake of those you love. Amen. Amen.